You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Some messengers came up to this dad and they said, hate to break it to you, but here's the fact. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And he receives a bad report. How many of you have ever needed a miracle? And next thing you know, when you're believing God and your faith is on fire and you're really expecting, you receive a negative report. Just takes the wind out of your sails, just like a punch in the gut. In our Christianity, when life is going well, we feel connected to God, it's easy to keep our communication intact with Him. When life takes a turn for the worse, what happens to this vigor for our faith? Today in his message, Pastor Jeff explains that you must never lose sight of the importance of your faith. If there's anything that you lose under no circumstances, can it be your faith? Remain true to the promises of God and maintain your commitment to sharing God's glory with the whole world. Well, Let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Mark chapter 5 as he begins his message, It's Not Too Late. We're going through the book of Mark. I'm going to be talking to you on the subject of it's not too late. I want you to say with me, it's not too late. It's never over until God has had his say. Amen. How many of you have been here through this series on the book of Mark? Almost all of you. We picked this because Mark reads like a newspaper. And when somebody gets saved and they say, what should I read? I say either Mark or John is what you ought to read because Mark reads so smooth, so quick. Mark is the action gospel. Mark, is, uh, Mark reads like a newspaper. Uh, it's easy to understand. Mark focuses more on the uh, miracles of Jesus than he does the teachings. The book of Mark has traditionally been assigned to John Mark in whose mother's house at Jerusalem, Christians assembled. Remember when Peter got delivered from jail and uh, he went knocking on the door of a house and they didn't believe that it was him. Well, that was Mark's mother's house. And uh, she knew that it was Simon Peter and actually I believe it's her that opened the door to him. Now Mark was likely led to Jesus by Simon Peter. Peter, you'll notice uh, in 1 Peter 5, 13, calls him Mark, my son. It was his close association with Peter that gives apostolic authority to his gospel. Many believe that Peter really dictated to him the facts of the book. He knew Simon Peter really well. Now, this same Mark was a cousin of Barnabas and accompanied Barnabas and Paul on a missionary journey. Acts 12, 25 says... When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, so far, so good. He's traveling with the big guns. But I want you to notice what happened. In chapter 13, verses 3 to 5, we read that they took him again on the first missionary journey. So it says, uh, quote, So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, and sent them off. They also had John. Now, when you read that in your Bible, it's talking about John Mark as their assistant. However, Mark left early. He bailed. Okay? Now, Paul didn't like that. I want you to notice what happened. He bailed. 
And um, this rubbed Paul the wrong way. He left them. And when Barnabas later wanted to bring Mark on the second missionary journey, Paul refused him, which led to a falling out with Barnabas. So here, I don't know if this makes blesses you or ministers to you, but I'm kind of happy to see that even Paul and the, the big guns had spats. I mean, they weren't always going, oh, bless you. Hallelujah, and doing the sign of the cross. They had a fight. Barnabas wanted to bring Mark, and Paul did not want to take him. And he was basically saying, he bailed on us. I'm not going to take a quitter. And so Barnabas took Mark to Cyprus, and Paul took Silas through Syria and Cilicia. Now let's just keep on going here. But reconciliation between Paul and Mark came later. Now I want you to say with me, it's okay to have a spat because you're human as long as you reconcile later. I'm glad to see they had a spat. Not that they had the spat, but I'm glad to see that even Paul had spats. But I'm also glad to see they made up. Now I'm going to show you how strong it was. It says here that Paul wrote that Mark was with him during his first Roman imprisonment about 12 years later. At the end of his life, Paul actually sent for Mark, and he said this, he's useful to me for ministry. You know what the story of Mark shows? The one that wrote this gospel we've been studying? That our God is the God of a second chance. Our God is, don't you know what Mark must have felt like when Paul, who just handed out handkerchiefs and people got healed. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul said, I don't want you coming with me. You're a quitter. I don't want you with me. Can you imagine? Not good. Now, I wanted you to see that because I want you to see when you open the book of Mark that you're reading the writings of somebody moved by the Holy Spirit who knew what it was to struggle, who knew what it was to fail, and who knew what it was to come back. Anybody in here ever failed? If you fail, say amen. Anybody in here never failed? You better not raise your hand in front of me. I'll come down there and point you out. All right, wanted you to see that, give you a little bit of background on the book of Mark. And uh, here's Mark, chapter 5, verses 35 to 42. And before we read that, I want to read Mark 5, 21, which leads up to these verses. Now it says, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat, to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue named Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at Jesus' feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him, and they thronged him. All right, now, here's Jairus. He's coming to him. His daughter is sick, and she's dying. And she comes to Jesus, or he comes to Jesus on her behalf, and he says, Lord, can you heal my daughter? Now, here's a desperate father, a desperate man. He needs an answer. Now, while he's talking to Jesus, and while he's pleading and praying for his daughter, the Bible tells us that the woman with the issue of blood walked up right about then 
and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And she was healed. Now, here we've got a distraction. And yet, don't you know that when this woman with the issue of blood was healed, it built Jairus' faith. Because he's got a daughter dying. And we've got people in our church who have lost children. And I've presided over a lot of funerals in my life. And I'm going to tell you the toughest one, the hardest funerals, are where a child has died. There's nothing like it. Nothing takes your heart away like that. And boy, do you need the ministry of the Holy Spirit at a time like that. And here is this man, and he's believing that his dying daughter is going to be healed. And right about then, there is a commotion. And this woman with an issue of blood comes up and immediately knows that she has been healed. And so this sends a thrill through the crowd. And I believe that this was an incredible encouragement to Jairus. Now, up to this point, Mark chapter 5, we've had two demon possessions that Jesus has ministered to, delivered people of demons. He's healed a leper already. A paralytic has already been healed. A withered hand has been restored. The woman with the issue of blood has been healed. And now we've got a little girl. Rightly, the Word of God says that Jesus, when he was on the earth, went about everywhere doing good and healing. Can everybody say with me, healing? He healed everybody who was oppressed of the devil. That's what he did. And now we've got this, this little girl and this father, this desperate dad. At the outset of his appeal, you can almost feel the angst and the worry and the fear and the tremendous cry from his heart, Lord, it's miracle time. If you don't do it, it's not going to get done. And that's how you know when you need a miracle. When you know that if God doesn't do it, it's just not going to get done. The need for a miracle brings you to your knees. The need for a miracle produces desperate faith. This dad is just one of a series of people that approach Jesus in desperate faith. I need a miracle. I need something supernatural. There is no natural solution for this. She's dying. And Lord, I need you to help us. I need you to intercede. I need you to intervene. Now, right on the tail end of the miracle of this woman being healed in front of him, and no doubt his faith soaring, the Bible says that some messengers came up to this dad and they said, hate to break it to you, but here's the fact. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And he receives a bad report. How many of you have ever needed a miracle and next thing you know, when you're believing God and your faith is on fire and you're really expecting, you receive a negative report? just takes the wind out of your sails, just like a punch in the gut, a negative report. They come to him and they say, hate to break it to you, you might as well give up. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jairus, she died. It's too late. She died. It isn't often the case that when we need a miracle, that's when the most discouraging words come. And they come from any one of a number of sources 
but I'll tell you who it usually is. It's usually somebody who knows you. It's usually somebody close to you. It's usually somebody that's got a little bit of power in your life in terms of input. And they come and they say, man, you know, uh, I hear you. I know you got good faith, but guess what? It's too late. She died. I'm trying to put myself in this dad's sandals. Here he is. Man, I just saw a woman healed. I just saw a miracle done. I just saw Jesus do what I have believed all along he could do, and this is why I'm trusting him with my daughter. And now I'm told that she died, and it's too late. These contrary voices came to the heartbroken father, and just like cold water poured on the fire of his faith. Now, when this happens, and I want to tell you, I don't want to speak anything negative over you, but I am going to tell you the truth. When it happens, and it will, when you're believing God for something, the enemy is wont to slip in and try to give you a negative report. Discourage your faith. Knock the wind out of you. Make you want to give up. Make you want to walk away. Because he knows if you hang in there, that sometimes it is darkest before the light breaks through. Sometimes you go through the deepest part of the valley before the rainbow appears in the sky. This is the way that it works. A battle, a negative report, is not the final say. That's why I'm calling this, it's not too late. Can I tell you a little secret? It's never over until God has had his say. It's never over until God has had his say. When this happens to us, we have a choice, and you're going to have this choice over and over and over again throughout your Christian life. Here's the choice. Whose report am I going to believe? And I'll tell you, it makes a, a huge difference in your future. Whose report you believe? Just ask Israel, the first generation. The 12 spies went over. They came back. Ten of them said, we can't defeat the giants. They're huge. We're like grasshoppers. And all of Israel believed them but two men. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can defeat them. Israel chose to believe the negative report, and they died in the sand. Their bones bleached white in the wilderness. They never tasted the fruit. They never crossed over the Jordan. They never stepped into what God had for them. And you know what did it to them? which report they decided to believe. Mm -mm. I'm going to tell you, this is Christianity in the raw here. This is Christianity. There's voices. There's two kinds of voices talking to you all the time. The negative voice of the devil, the, de the negative report, or the positive report of God. They're both always talking. The people giving you the negative report often mean well. They do. I've had people give me negative reports who meant well. Pastor Jeff, I hate to tell you. I love you. But here's what i got to tell you about this. And it's this negative report. But here's what it's wise to ask when you get a negative report. Anybody in here ever gotten one? Here, here's what it's wise to ask. When that person near you who might mean well, when they give you the negative report, here's what you ought to ask. Is this report you're giving me, is it flowing from the Holy Spirit after you have prayed about this? Or are you just shooting from the hip 
speaking in the flesh, just giving me your almighty idea. I don't want your opinion. I want a word from God. Often the negative report comes from somebody who means well, but they're moving in the flesh. They're not operating in the Holy Ghost. They haven't prayed about it. I'm going to tell you, the older I get, the more picky I am about who I want around me. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about voices. You are the one in charge of what you listen to. God didn't give us ear lids, but he did give us the ability to walk away from a negative report. I mean, there's good people and there's negative people. And there's people who will encourage you and spur you on. There's people who will drag you down and negate you and marginalize you and steal your vision away from you. Here's this dad. His daughter's dying. And they come to him and they say, don't bother the teacher anymore. It doesn't do you any good to go to God with this. You might as well hang up your prayer life. You might as well forget it and just walk away because she's died. It's too late. I'm going to say it again. It's never over until God has had his say. Flesh will tell you something's too late. But God may tell you, get ready for a resurrection. Get ready for me to do something, though it looks dead to you. What I find interesting here is it says that Jesus heard the words that were spoken. He heard the words that were spoken. He hears what people say to you. He watches what you listen to. It encourages me that Jesus heard it. You know what Jesus did? Jesus wheeled around and said, only believe. He negated, he, he, he crossed out what the negative report was, and he said to this desperate father, he said, only believe. Believe. Now, if God hasn't given you a word, you may not have a right to believe. But if he's given you a word, if he's with you, if you've got a promise to stand on, then only believe. And it's not vacuous belief. It's not a leap into the dark. It's not an irrational stand. You're standing on a promise. He said virtually the same thing to Mary and Martha who were standing at their dead brother's tomb. And I love this. He said, didn't I say to you, they're sitting there saying, Lord, I can't roll that stone away. The problem, my brother, he stinketh. How many of you have ever had a problem that stinketh? You know you need a miracle when the problem stinketh. He, they said, he's been down there for four days. He stinketh. You don't want me to roll this stone away. It's embarrassing. I don't want that stench coming out. I'm embarrassed. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God on your problem? Didn't I tell you if you would believe? Well, when you believe, something you're believing for isn't yet there. Or why believe? If it's there, you don't need to believe. But if it's not there yet, how does something that is out there in promised land come here? Only believe. Only believe. And what is there will be reeled in here. And you will see with your natural eye the result of your initial believing. 
Say it with me, I'll see the glory of God. See, if, if I'm walking in faith and standing on a promise, it is not useless faith. It is God's way of getting what is there here. So if I believe, I'm going to see the glory of God, not, not my problem destroying me, not my problem being uh, 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 irreconcilable or unfixable, but I'm going to see God's glory on that problem. I'm going to see his glory on the mess. Isn't that what he's saying? My experience is placing your faith in God. When you've got a problem, when you've got a mess, when you've got a, uh, something that, that only God can fix, if you place your faith in God, the Bible says your hope will never make you ashamed. I look out there at the world now, and I see all kinds of people with false hope, false faith, and the hope that they have does make them ashamed because what they're hoping for and believing for and expecting is not going to come because it's not based on the promises of God. It's based on some errant philosophy or some, some, um, um, some belief that has no foundation in God. And so their hope doesn't deliver, and it makes them ashamed. They say, well, it just didn't happen for me. But when your hope is based on a promise, and when Jesus says to you, only believe, only believe. I know she's dying, and I know she's dead, but I want you to just believe. Then the promise is you will see the glory of God break through on your problem. And that's been my experience. It may look like a mess for a while. It may stink for a while. It may look hopeless for a while. But if you believe and you stand on the promises of God, God somehow, some way, someday, in his unique way and fashion, places his glory, and he works it together for the good. And that's why your hope will not leave you ashamed. Mm -mm 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 -mm. You know, I'm going to tell you, if I didn't believe this, I'd never preach again. You wouldn't see me this Sunday. But I know this is true. I know this is the word of God. I know that my God exists, and I know that he honors faith. Now, a second thing jumps at me from this story, and I want you to hear this carefully. You may need to remove yourself from the presence of naysayers, doubters, and critics when you're believing God for something that is crucial. The Bible tells us that Jesus began in verse 37 of Mark 5, he began the process of choosing who would be around him for this miracle. He told the dad, I'm coming. Yeah, 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 you, you've told me that, uh, you know, she's, uh, she's dead, and I get it, but I'm going to go to the house, and I'm going to visit. But look what it says. It says that Jesus immediately began to set apart and choose who was going to be with him for this miracle. He made some people step back. And he chose three to be with him. It says he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So here's Jesus saying, this is a miracle. I'm about to resurrect somebody from the dead. It's too sacred. It's too holy. It's too powerful. It's too meaningful. It's too deep. It's too special for just anybody to be around. 
you do when you experience a negative report? When you're dealing with the storms of life, do you give up when the bad news starts to roll in? In today's teaching, Pastor Jeff illustrated for us how to utilize difficult situations for the glory of God. It's easy to seek after the Lord when life is going well, but how do you keep the wind in your sails when times are testing? Give your heart to the Lord and move past the pain of this world that's holding you back. Here's Diane with some more info about Hardwired. You've been listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Would you be interested in helping support this ministry as we further the gospel? All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. We're so grateful for your continued support in listening to this program and also investing in the ministry. Once again, text GIVE to 817-484-4767 to GIVE. Here's Daniel one more time with a sneak peek about the next edition. What do we have if we don't have hope? When life isn't going well and you feel like you're at your wit's end, what keeps your hope intact? In his next word, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that if you want an overflowing well of inspiration and hope to draw from, step into God's promises. He will never lead you astray and wants you to join Him by His side in heaven. Maintain the strength of your hope by the power of God's perfect grace. Accept His calling and be saved. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of Mark next time on Hardwired. Hi, everybody. This is Jeff Wickwire, host of the Hardwired broadcast. And I'm so excited to tell you about this month's offer for you, our listeners. For a gift of $40 or more, we want to send you the beautiful new Bible put out by Tyndale called Immerse, the Reading Bible. Our offer contains a beautiful, reads-like-butter New Testament featuring the New Living Translation. The Immerse Bible New Testament contains no chapters, no verses, just like the original manuscripts in which the Bible was written, so that it reads more like a story. It also comes with an eight-week reading plan, maps, and a helpful summary of every New Testament book. So if you want to try a really unique approach to your daily Bible reading, just go to hardwire.org and click Donate Now to give your gift of $40 or more. We'll send you the Immerse Bible immediately. And thanks once again for your support of Hardwired. Every dollar we receive will go toward reaching the world with God's Word.